Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. Good Wednesday afternoon to you. Thank you kindly for joining us. Wherever you are watching or listening to this program, we appreciate your participation and your thoughts, your perspective. It is an interactive show. We love crowdsourced content on the program. All we want to do is be the water cooler of Chitter Chatter here in Charlottesville and Almoral in Central Virginia. Today's program <coughs> is... Um, one where we will open up the discussion to you. I have a couple of programming notes that I want to highlight. Tomorrow, Donna Price is on the program. She's the chairwoman of the Almoral County Board of Supervisors. Donna Price on the program. As we mentioned to you as well, on Tuesday, August 22nd, the new CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, Natalie Massery, will be in studio, as well as retired Colonel Letty Bain, the retired colonel presented the $1.2 billion defense sector impact to local leadership, elected officials. So we will unpack that white paper, which was in part initiated by the Chamber of Commerce live on air. I'm excited for that interview on Tuesday, August 22nd. So over the last three to four days, my inbox has been crowded, and by inbox I mean DMs, text messages, voicemails, email inboxes, with the um, Almoral County bus driver saga. Why don't we go to a two-shot, if we could, Judah? What is um, something that continues year after year after year, now a third year of this? Is that a saga? Sure. I feel like that's, you have three years, going into your third year or something, that's a saga, right? Yeah, <clears throat> that works. Um, that's what I'm getting hammered with, is the bus driver shortage. What's the solution? I don't think anyone knows. Obviously, if they did, the school board or Dr. Matthew Haas, the superintendent, and his um, lieutenants would have come up with an answer. Yeah. Um, other school systems have bus drivers and full routes running. Maybe it's the bus drivers don't want to work for this administration in Almaro County. That's what that. one bus driver says to NBC 29. Um, in an interview with NBC 29, I'm reading it right now, um, live on air, one of the uh, drivers highlights that we don't want to work for these folks, meeting Almoral County Superintendent and his cabinet. Wow. Uh, so the, the biggest point of concern I want to highlight is the short notice, parents just receiving two weeks before school that their kids would not have transportation to and from school. Perhaps giving a, a larger window of heads up would have been prudent and would have probably diminished some of this outcry. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, is, it, wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have blunted the pain of, of what's going on. But, yeah, I think if, uh, if parents had – definitely. If parents had more than two weeks to figure out what they're going to do here, that would have gone a long, long way. To diminish the outcry. So managing of the optics – the brand, the perception, the communications is not Almoral County Public Schools' strength. They've proven that yet again. 
They proved that with how they handled the JV football team hazing incident, where they pretty much just buried their head in the sand and hoped it went away. Yeah. It's happening with the bus driver shortage. I do want to highlight this. It's not a problem that's unique to Albemarle, and I know that's not any saving grace for the families that are in the problem, but it is not unique to Albemarle. Right. Um, and we do empathize with the families that rely on bus transportation because the parents work and they can't get their kids to and from school themselves. Yeah. So parents, um, we will continue to fight this fight for you. Um, the school board is set to meet tomorrow, Thursday, August 10th, at the county office building. I would imagine you're going to see a lot of frustrated parents at that meeting. Hmm. And the first day of school, I believe, is Wednesday, August 23rd for ACPS. Hmm. Wednesday, August 23rd. Yesterday's chatter on dairy market resonated with quite a few people. Um, we know that nimbyism shows its heads its head in a, in a lot of different ways. Is this really nimbyism? That's what I. That's the question I was going to ask. Is this nimbyism? That's literally what I wanted to go down here. I mean, I could be I could be wrong, but uh, it, nimbyism has always seemed to me to be about people who are you know who like it's it seems to me it's it's more about not wanting to lower property values rather than uh, raise them um, which seems to be the case here people are worried about uh, gentrification and uh, taxes on their property going up and so maybe uh, maybe nimbyism covers covers both sides of the uh, the spectrum that's the topic I want to unpack what we're seeing from socialists and from activists and you know the the neighborhood is this not in my backyard mentality is this nimbyism hmm. is nimbyism inclusive of political outcry or is it exclusive of political outcry. That's the topic I want to unpack here. Because if this is a not in my backyard mentality, it's just the same mentality we see with project after project after project. Oliver Kutner, micro apartments off Water Street, Keith Woodard, Market Plaza, High Street, building in a floodplain. Yeah. Stribbling Avenue, fighting over sidewalks off Jefferson Park Avenue. Dairy Market, 400 apartments for the community, a community yeah. that undoubtedly needs housing. Mm -hmm. Is this a not-in-my-backyard mentality from the activists and socialists and neighborhood that are fighting against it? I'm curious of your thoughts and your opinion on that topic, viewers and listeners. Vanessa Parkhill watching the program says, you guys nailed it. It's the bus drivers choosing to not want to work for ACPS is what it appears to be happening here. Drivers not wanting to work for Albemarle when other jurisdictions, for example, Louisa, has a completely full slate hmm. of drivers taking kids to and from school. I think it's not wanting to work for the school system, partially. Yeah. I think it's also the part-time nature of the job 
where they're paid to drive kids in the morning and then paid to drive kids in the afternoon, what do they do in the middle of the day? Yeah. Where they're literally off the clock and maybe driving back to their house doesn't make sense depending on where they live because they're not paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the reality is of, of, of many of them living here in, in Almoro and Charlesville where the routes are located is probably low. Yeah, no doubt. Not living there. I think it's also um, maybe some collateral damage from the pandemic. You're in a tin can. You're surrounded by 30 or 40 kids. Everyone's breathing the same air. <clears throat> I think it's also a CDL shortage we have here where we have a shortage of drivers in totality. And because there's a shortage of folks with CDLs, they can kind of pick and choose what they want to do. And who would, ra- who would want to drive a bus with 30 or 40 kids as opposed to driving maybe a big rig when you can make 3x the uh, revenue and don't have to deal with children? Especially if you've recently been pushed out of Charlottesville or Albemarle County because of, uh, because of house or, uh, or uh, tax prices cost of living yeah. what's the impact the cost of living is having on bus drivers wanting to drive for Almoral in charlottesville city why would you want to take a job in Almoral county or charlottesville city when you're essentially being paid on the financial margin you can't live in that community and then you have a long way drive home wherever you live because you can't afford to live in charlottesville in the city or in Almoral county yeah and and i think it's also important that we do this the this is what we've seen in the last three years j-dubs We've seen the term go from affordable housing, then the brand was... Housing affordability? Worst, it was wordsmithed, right? To housing affordability. Affordable housing went to housing affordability. Now we're seeing the brand or the moniker getting wordsmithed even more to workforce housing. Hmm. Workforce housing. Where the word affordability is being taken out altogether. Makes me question. Uh, makes me question what kind of housing we're talking about now. I mean, uh, you know, housing affordability and affordable housing seems to be talking about housing, but then you get into workforce housing, and it's like, okay, well, is that uh, what is that? <clears throat> is that uh, Quonset huts and uh, and army cots? It's a good question. And have you noticed the? demographic for the workforce housing is a very different demographic than for the affordable housing or the housing affordability. Hmm. Workforce housing, let's create housing for teachers, firemen, police officers, nurses. Hmm. Three years ago, four years ago, before COVID, affordable housing meant let's create housing for people that are 80% below area median income that literally are tied to not being able to afford to live here. Now yeah. it's housing for folks that are working on the front line. Well, when everybody falls into that category, it, you, I guess you've got to change how you talk about it. No, I think what happened was the, the landscape changed. The market changed. The, uh, it's like the same wordsmithing that was done with uh, Joe Biden and his administration with the White House when he said, oh, no, technically we're not in a recession by the definition of a recession, where everyone in the country was like, dude, this is a recession. Yeah. Um, So, I don't know. We're watching the the wordsmithing happening with the brand. When does workforce housing become middle-class housing? That's the next thing that's going to come down the pipe. 
three years ago, before COVID, before housing went gangbusters and took off like a rocket ship, it was affordable housing. Yeah. Then during COVID, as housing is taking off like a rocket ship, affordable housing went to housing affordability. Now that rocket, that rocket ship has continued to escalate or get more expensive because there's no inventory, rates are high. Um, yesterday, there, I talked about the Mortgage Bankers Association or on Monday talking about it's the most difficult time to qualify for a loan, according to this association, in 10 years. Yeah. Now it's changed to workforce housing. How much longer to that phrase now becomes, we need housing for the middle class? Right. Is that what's next? I think we might already be kind of there. I mean, the, the, the middle class has been disappearing, if I'm not mistaken. There's been a, a rising gap between... Uh, middle class is being whittled down like a number two pencil. The upper class is getting more robust in its numbers, and then the lower class is getting more robust in its numbers. Much more robust in its numbers. Much more robust in its numbers, absolutely. And then you have this demographic in the middle, the middle class that's getting narrowed or shrunk. Yeah. And folks are escalating or climbing into the upper class ladder in large part, or stratosphere, in large part because of the significant equity they've accrued in their house. So their primary asset, their home, is now was, worth more value to them than ever before. It's more valuable to them than ever. I would say people in the upper class are probably, probably have more than one house or one property that they're gaining. Ah. You think that somebody owning a single house, their uh, equity in that house is, is uh, uh, sending them into the, uh, the upper class? What is the upper class threshold? Upper class... I mean, I would argue that there are probably people making in the multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars who are still here's the number for you, ready? sliding out of the middle class because of the cost of things. Um, lower income households, lower income households. This is according to um, U.S. News and Money. Lower income households had income less than uh, forty-eight five hundred in totality with two working parents. Forty-eight okay. five hundred. Upper income households had incomes greater than one forty-five five hundred. One hundred forty-five thousand five hundred. That's the that's the low end for upper upper. Class. Yeah, one forty-five five. The area median income in the Charlottesville area, Charlottesville Almore area, is like, if memory serves, it's like 111,000. Yeah, it's abs- absurdly high. So if the area median income for the Charlottesville Almore area is 111,000, and the threshold, the bottom threshold for upper income households is 145,500. I would say a large portion of 145,500, even a large portion of those that are earning in the twos, do not have two two homes. I'm sure they don't, and I question the uh, the numbers. Not, I don't question the numbers there, but I question their uh, um, their metric for finding those numbers. I mean, you know, what's I'm, I'm sure that there are people that are making decent money who are, you know, depending on their, uh, depending on their, you know, their layout, what, I don't know how to put it, uh, it, 
you know, somebody making $145,000, if they've got a McMansion, they might be, you know, they might be barely scraping by. Yeah. Well, especially into, I had a conversation, and I'm not going to say who it was. I believe the gentleman is watching the program now. I had a conversation with a upper 20s, um, very well, you know, well-employed, intelligent individual that we're going to start doing some business with. He's our point of contact for it. And he's got a um, one-bedroom apartment in Almar County. That one-bedroom apartment in Almar County, we're talking $1,450 a month in rent. $1,450. One bedroom. One bedroom, one bathroom, apartment in Crozet, $1,450 a month. $1,450 a month. Okay? And he made this comment. I'm making more money in 2023 than I was in 2019. But he's got less take-home. But I have less take-home, and the bills are stacking up more than they ever did in 2019. So that's, that's the thing. I, you, know, you, can look at, uh, you can look at a chart that says that this is upper class and this is lower class, but uh, I, f- I feel like uh, the gap between the two is widening, and a lot of people that may technically, technically uh, uh, qualify as upper class are not doing as, as well as some might imagine. Now... I think that's a thousand percent. Now, true. perhaps, perhaps your friend could could leave Crozet. Crozet might be at the higher end of the market, and he could find something lower. Same as you know, somebody somebody living in a McMansion, they could uh, you know they could find a cheaper house with a cheaper mortgage. With you know, but uh, some people would say, oh well, boo-hoo. Somebody making that much money is having trouble. Sorry, but uh, stop, uh, you know, stop buying avocado toast and, uh, and, and Starbucks. But um, Starbucks always gets the shade come tough times. It's that damn latte factor. Yeah. Everyone talks the latte factor. But the fact of the matter is that I think uh, everybody is tightening their belts, and we're seeing it across the board. I mean, American credit card debt just hit, surpassed a trillion dollars. Yeah. Did you see that headline? For the first time ever. First time in American history, the country in totality, over a trillion dollars in credit card debt right now. So you have the highest credit card debt in American history. For a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of cities, a lot of towns, a lot of states, you have the highest price point for homes in American history. Yeah. Certainly for Charlottesville and Almaro County. Mm-hmm. Right? Charlottesville, 1% year-over-year. Almore, 11% year-over-year. I can say with confidence and conviction, Almore County and Charlottesville, right now, the highest value for homes in Almore's history and in Charlottesville's history. Definitely. You I mean, still... That's not even... It's not even debatable. You could make the comment that some of the surrounding jurisdictions, it's not the case. Nelson County was down 25% year-over-year. So last right. year, at Nelson County was 25% more expensive median... To purchase yeah. a house than now. But we've seen a massive rise in prices around here. For Charlottesville and Almar in particular. And I've said, and Carly, I'm going to get to your comments. Kevin, I'm going to get to your comments. John, I'm going to get to your comments. Georgia Gilmer says, NIMBY 
is a term to describe people who oppose changes in their community, says David Reese, the professor of law and research director at the Center of Urban Business Entrepreneurship in New York City. So it's a term to describe people who oppose changes in their community. So what she's basically saying is this mentality from socialists and activists in the 10th and Page neighborhood undoubtedly falls under the NIMBY moniker or the NIMBY acronym. Yeah. Because it's just in opposition to change in general. Right. I get that. Um, I think this is from Oxford. That this Oxford says a person who objects to the sighting of something perceived as unpleasant or hazardous in the area where they live, especially while raising no such objections to similar developments elsewhere. Uh, which brings into question whether or not uh, it's really about uh, just disliking something and more. But really, we're kind of splitting hairs. And yeah, we're splitting. I'll well say that. If you don't want uh, if you don't want development in your area, you're a NIMBY. Doesn't matter why. Yeah, I, I I think NIMBY is just tied to change. Just tied to change. John gives you props, Blair. I'd like to compliment Judas Comet. It's easy to dissect problems, but sometimes we forget the actual victims of the problem. It really is a shame that Alboro parents are finding out about this two and a half weeks before school starts. That puts so many families in the county in a real bind. He's on point concerning the lack of time provided to parents. Two weeks, not enough time. No. His respective neighborhood, Redfields, also is getting caught up on this with a bus driver and route shortage. Carly Wagner's got multiple comments that we're going to get to. Um, she says, Almore County Public Schools did some the same sort of wordsmithing to the state of DOE, DOE required gifted program to talent development and do all they can to strip the gifted students from the programs the state says they are entitled to. She also says it's the plebeians, the workers, those poor souls can't afford housing either. It's increasingly only upper-income folks, many no longer workers, that can afford houses. How many years until the elite are the only ones with the means to buy personal property? Uh, John has made that comment on LinkedIn and on Twitter multiple times. John Blair has, saying that we're now in an environment where home ownership is a luxury and is one that is only afforded by those that are in upper class or upper middle class echelons. Yeah. Um, Kevin Yancey makes this point, and it's a good one. Louisa County has three to four employers to work for in the entire county, with the schools being one of them. So because Louisa has such limited um, work opportunity, that's one of the reasons why they don't have a bus driver shortage. Yeah. Where the county and the city have much more um, work opportunity, so those that may consider driving a bus perhaps are choosing to do other things. Yeah. He also says when 10 em- employees um, at the largest employer make more than 1,000 employees at the same employer, there lies the problem. So he's basically saying when 10 employees at the largest employer make more than 1,000 employees at the same employer, Therein lies the problem. Is he talking about uh, C-suite executives? I think he's talking about um, Superintendent Matthew Haas and Uh, the assistant superintendents under him, which he has called his cabinet. hmm. If you um, aggregated and tallied the salaries, the perks, and the benefits of Haas, and I I published his salary. I mean, it's deep six figures. but if you publish his salary, if you tally his salary along with the assistant superintendents, total those, 
it's going to be way more than all the bus drivers combined. Right. Probably can throw in a, a boatload of teachers in the mix as well. And he says, therein lies the problem. It may be part of the problem, but that's not unique to schools, though. Yeah. Um, Carly says, decrease median sales prices does not mean reduce real estate value, just means fewer higher-valued homes transfer that year compared to the previous year. Yeah, um, I get that. What, here's what she's basically saying. She says, if you take the quarter-over-quarter quarter median uh, value, the report from Carr, she's basically saying, what if the high-dollar homes just didn't go on the market that year? Of course, it's going to mean a lower value. You hmm. see what she's saying? Yeah. You want me to try to put that a different way? I, th- I think I get it. She's basically saying that uh, if the, the most expensive houses ha- haven't gone, if nobody's trying to sell them, then it may look like house prices have gone down, when in reality it's just a matter of uh, the houses on, on the market are just in a, uh, in a uh, smaller channel. Yeah. And, and, and that's a hell of a point, and that's a very important uh, thing to emphasize, especially take a, a place like Nelson County, who's down 25% year over year in value. Yeah, it may on, be that it may be that there are some uh, expensive houses that aren't going on the market, and it just looks like, uh, it, and so the the lower end houses are are getting put up, and it uh, skews the numbers. That skews the numbers, and there there could be some truth to that because if you are in a um, top dollar home, and you secured that top dollar home before COVID. Yeah. Or in the early stage of COVID, your home, the, the price points on those top dollar homes have escalated dramatically. So even if you sell your home today and take advantage of the significant stacks of equity that you've accrued, you're still buying something else at today's top dollar, at today's top interest rate, in an environment that has no inventory at a time where qualifying for mortgages has been as difficult as it has been in the last 10 years, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. That's a damn good point, Carly. And a person, um, and a person with, a, with a, I guess, wouldn't, let, let me put it this way, wouldn't a person with a large enough house with enough equity in it uh, be able to find a way to use that equity without selling the house? In other words, if they wanted to get out of the house and get into something else, they could maybe uh, leverage the, the equity in their home to get a second house and wait for the market to become more uh, uh, advantageous, advantageous to uh, to sell off the the main home. Well, that's a point that I made on Real Talk a couple weeks ago. That I would not be surprised, and and this was a point that was made to me by an economist, a mm-hmm. a, a professor of 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 economy, an economist professor at UVA, literally listens and watches to this show. He says, religiously, and religiously is DMing me analysis or feedback on what we talk about. Mm -hmm. This is an econ professor at UVA. I will say it is not Ken Elzinga, but it's another known commodity econ professor at the University of Virginia, and I'll leave it at that. And this particular professor says, one thing you guys need to start considering and discussing on your show, he said, a lot of people listen to you is the folks that have the stacks of equity do not be surprised if they choose not to sell their homes and instead 
pool on the equity, get a 70% loan to value. So if you're sitting on 500, you may be able to qualify on that 500, depending on your credit score and a lot of other factors, a 70% LTV, you may be able to pull 350 against that 500 of equity. And then that 350 is utilized to potentially purchase investment rental property. Yeah. So this particular um, PhD has said, I don't think a lot of the folks that are sitting on the five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars of equity are going to be so inclined to sell their home because they have a debt service structure, carrying cost and overhead yeah. tied to 2019, 2018 right. when rates were two, three. I mean, what's the stat? Over 80 percent of America has an interest rate on their house of four percent or less. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's better than putting that money in uh, in the practically better than putting that money in the stock market. Why his point and he hasn't, you know, he's asked for a little off the record um, you know, privacy cuz he's a an employee of the University of Virginia. And his point was they've purchased homes in a market environment with market conditions that may never return again. Yeah. 2 3% rates. Mhm. So they see this as a commodity that potentially can never be purchased or acquired again. Yeah. So they're going to hold this as an investment property and or pull the equity out of their home, stay in that home, and then pull the equity to buy additional inventory as it comes to market and potentially do an all-cash purchase for it yeah. or very little financing for it and then rent that unit mm-hmm. at and then, top rent prices. And then do it again. That right there blew my mind when he said that. Yeah. Now, you, you got to be careful because if you don't man- manage your, uh, your debt to equity, you, that's how the house of cards could potentially crumble. Yeah. But he said, be mindful of that potentially happening. Um, comments are coming in very fast here. Chuck Ramey says, good information. Keep up the good work. All positive, very informative, and very beneficial. Chuck loves the show. We thank you, Chuck, yeah. uh, for watching the program. Um, Carly is highlighting the HELOC potential, the home equity line of credit, which is what we're talking about, people pulling against the equity they have. She also says, especially for Nelson County, who is reaping the benefit from the drive to your qualify, those that bought at 150000 now can suddenly sell to Seville commuters at two fifty. It's the pressure for affordable housing in Almora that increased lower value transfers in Nelson. That's a good comment. This from Deep Throat through Twitter DM, and then we'll get to Linnell. Um, he said, Judah and Jerry, I would add another reason for the change for affordable housing to housing affordability or workforce housing. The future land use map was sold as a tonic for affordable housing. Hmm. When it was proven that very little affordable housing was going to be produced, those who still wanted the future land use map pivoted to housing affordability. That is, don't worry, sure, all that gets produced is luxury housing, but somehow that is going to trickle down to lower rents at lower tiers. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the argument would would be or has been that uh, that okay, even if even if they're not building affordable housing 
people will, you know, people will move up into that expensive housing, moving out of their less expensive housing, thereby making space for people that can move up into that housing and leave their less expensive housing and so on and so forth down the line. But if we've got, you know, if we've got hundreds, if not thousands of people moving into our area because of, uh, you know, because of increased students at the school, because of the, uh, the, the biotech lab um, and, and things like that, then I don't, I don't think that's going to have much effect. Uh, Carly says what you guys are talking about is absolutely happening. Many in her personal sphere, her personal network, are continuing to move up to the bigger homes, but they're holding on to their current or previous homes as positive cash flow rentals and only plan to sell when kids go to college or when the property is owned outright. I think you're going to further see inventory throttled in this market. Yeah, it's a great investment. I mean, housing costs, I mean, housing prices are going up. And if you've locked in a two or three and a half rate, where, do you, where are you going to find that? Where never. Are gonna, where are you going to find money? You may never find that again. Where are you going to find money growth and a low rate like that? I mean, it really is probably better than the stock market. Um, I'll put this in perspective. This business was launched where, Judah? Uh, well, when I came on, it was in your uh, office. It was uh, launched at the Villas at Southern yeah. Ridge, a three-bedroom, two-bath condo down Fifth Street, uh, Fifth Street Extended in a former apartment conversion. Mm-hmm. This apartment complex or the previous apartment complex for the Villas was the place you did not go after hours. And then the developer, Bart Fry from Virginia Beach, comes in during the 2007-2006 peak of the market and converts the apartments to condos, opens up a sales office in one of the condominiums, and starts selling units at a buck eighty-five a unit for a three-bedroom, two-bath. Then the market hit the crapper. And those units that sold for, trust me, I got in phase one at a buck eighty-five. Those units then fell to one twenty-five. But I didn't panic. I rented two rooms out to buddies, and I launched a business out of there. And I said, which is a point that you made on Monday, you don't lose until you sell. So if you're able to hold, the market could rebound, and then that loss becomes a gain. Yeah. That's what you said on Monday, which is very intuitive. It was absolutely on point. Yeah, well, it's the same thing with stocks. I mean, you could be, you could be down hundreds or thousands of dollars, but if you don't sell, you know, it's like... Test just it's a paper loss. Yeah, it, not a tangible loss. The price drops, and if you're dumb and you sell at a loss, then you lose money. But if you hold on to it, someday it goes up and rebounds. It goes above what you what you paid, and then you watch it go further and further and further, and you're happy you didn't sell. So now that 185 purchase price is 225, 235. Actually, it's about 235. So we're looking at a fifty thousand dollar gain on the 185 purchase. My point and why I brought this up, when I converted it to a rental, moving to Redfields on Rockledge Drive, which is the neighborhood right behind the villas, yeah. um, I rented that unit for $1,000 a month. That was in 2014. In 2014, that three-bedroom, two-bath with a den rented for a G-note a month. How much do you think it's renting right now? 
Three bedrooms. Uh, Three bedrooms, two bath with an office. Same unit, nine years later. Seventeen fifty. Two thousand a month. Nineteen seventy-five to be exact. So in nine years, it went from a thousand a month to one nine seven five per month. Yeah. The tax base hasn't changed on it really. The overhead and maintenance hasn't changed on it really. And if everybody's doing that, then nobody's getting affordable housing. And if everyone's doing that, and mine's below market, others in there are running for twenty-one, twenty-two hundred. I keep it below to keep it full. So you got a marketplace, a, a free market, nine years ago that was at a thousand a month. Now it's at two thousand a month, twenty-one hundred a month, twenty-two hundred a month, and those that own those rental properties. Their taxes haven't really upticked. Right. Maybe you're spending a little bit more on labor for repairs because the labor market's changed, but it's minimal. That's that's an example right there of how holding and owning these properties in Almar and Charlottesville are cash cows, money printers. Yeah. Comments are coming in fast. Um, Jason Howard on Rio Road. When I was younger, one had to camp out overnight to get a spot in the kindergarten class of the local Catholic school. With Albemarle's continuing problems with schools, what are you hearing as far as enrollment in private schools in the county? This is always a hot topic or a hot button issue with detractors and naysayers of the show. Detractors and naysayers of the show say I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of private schools to the detriment of public schools. And I I call bogus on that. We talk about the public schools, the transportation issues, the leadership issues, the curriculum concerns, the lack of transparency and accountability with communication to parents amongst teachers and administrators because we want to see the public schools do well. We want to see the public schools do well. Now, if the public schools for a third straight year cannot solve the transportation issue, that is one of the amenities that public schools have over private schools. Hmm. Find me a private school in this area that's busing kids to and from schools on bus stops from their house. You're not going to find one. So for families that are working, moms and dads, mommies and mommies, daddies and daddies that are working, that can't get their kid to and from school because their work schedule prevents it, the public school is very appealing because the transportation is provided. Yeah. Now that those routes and those drivers aren't being provided by Albemarle and Charlottesville at the same frequency and clip that they were before COVID, 2018-2019, that amenity is not as robust or as strong as it once was. And as the public school starts whittling down its amenities or its offerings, then of course the value proposition of the private school becomes more, I don't know if tangible is the right word. Palpable? I don't know. Palatable. I don't know if that's, I don't even know. Maybe it's considered even more. You still have to overcome the cost of tuition. Yeah. But one thing I've, you know, you do some research here. The tuition assistance at a lot of the schools around here is very real. Yeah. 
It's very real. I mean, just go to the websites and research. Um, comments coming in fast. I love you guys. Um, this is a good one from Kevin. He was talking about um, the C-suite making so much compared to the rest. Kevin said the C COO and the CEO of UVA Health make 817000 annually, yet the average employee salary at UVA Hospital is 37400 according to a 2022 report. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, on a different page from Jason Howard, says, to add more to what Jason just commented on your show, Jerry, why doesn't the bus driving situation and the routes become a lottery system or some kind of camping out like you would to get concerts, tickets to a concert? So Jonathan basically said, with the routes and the lack of bus drivers and these 900 families that were just contacted, why don't we somehow incentivize them to win a spot on one of these buses or routes by camping out like you would for a concert to get tickets and you're first in line? Win? You mean like kids, some kids would make it on the bus and some wouldn't? I guess what he's basically saying, you know when you try to get concert tickets? Yeah, you get up I, early. I mean, it's the same thing with like uh, Black Friday where everybody's right. standing out, winding you know, around the block at, uh, at Best Buy or wherever. Yeah, or like at uh, when the ABC store on certain days, the liquor drops and the high-end bottles of booze, the bourbon collectors, the scotch collectors, a lot of times you're camping out there or hours beforehand to get the bottles before everyone else. Yeah. I would counter by saying this, a bus route system is not like a concert ticket system. And shouldn't be, especially not with kids. And especially should not when you, be. When you might be talking about uh, you know, extreme high or low temperatures, what you're going to send a kid out to wait, and what happens if they don't make it on? Well, well and, and let's just talk about efficiencies. The routes are set up with a mindset of efficiencies, Right. I would You're, hope. I hope to God. I know, God. Let's hope to I mean, God. I mean, I honestly don't know God, anything about I hope Kyle Marl's doing it that way. But the routes, you can't, just, you can't just camp out for a spot on a bus and win it like you're buying a concert ticket or winning a lottery or buying a bottle of, like, Eagle Rare bourbon. Because the routes are trying to maximize as much kids on a bus as possible. The unfortunate aspect of this, it's the kids that are kind of in the outer portions of Albemarle that are going to suffer the most because the outer portions of Albemarle have the longest ride and are the least densely populated areas. Right. So if you're looking to cut a stop, you're going to cut a stop where it takes the longest to get there. Yeah, you're picking up And there's two, not enough kids. You're picking up two kids. And picking up one or two kids. 20 minutes to get there. That's why my buddy in Blenheim reached out to me. He's like, dude, my kids are getting shafted again. Yeah. Part of it is the location of where they live. Mm. Another example is, is Kevin Higgins is always texting us about the buses in, in uh, Greenwood, right? Greenwood's one of the furthest portions of Almoral County. I mean, the kids that are in the Afton portion of Almoral, right on the Almoral Nelson line, yeah. They're going to get shafted. Yeah. Blenheim's going to get shafted. Greenwood's going to get shafted. They're going to prioritize dense areas where they can pick up a bunch of kids at one stop. Right. And it's the shortest drive to the school. 
Mm-hmm. It's not equitable, but it's doing the best they can with what they got, I guess. It's like bus route triage. Is that what you would call it? I don't know. Here, here's a great comment from Carly. Do they pay one lead 300000 to design the most efficient routes? Are they paying a consultant 300 k to, to design the most efficient routes instead of paying 10 bus drivers that $300,000 in consulting money? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. You never know. Someone should look into the Almoral County School budget and say and figure out if money is being spent on consultation of route efficiency or maximizing routes as opposed to just funneling that money to... Um, a few more bus drivers. For more bus drivers. That would be so sad. John Blair on LinkedIn. Jerry, on the August 2nd, 2023 Almora Board of Supervisor agenda, there were two special use permits to increase the class sizes of two private schools in the county. Seats would go from 385 students to 650. See items 18 and 19 on this agenda. Two private schools looking to increase their class sizes. He sends me the link, and he tells me items 18 and 19. I'm going to the link, and I'm going to look at items 18 and 19 here. Community Christian Academy. Special use permit amendment for a private school. A request for a special use permit amendment under section 18-14.2-2 to increase the student enrollment at an existing private school from 85 to 150 students. That's a massive increase. 85 to 150. 85 times 1.75. That's a 75% increase in the enrollment for Community Christian Academy. The Miller School, number 19. John, good information from you. Proposal includes the renovation and expansion of an existing dormitory structure as well as a phased approach to increasing maximum student enrollment to 300 students, then ultimately 500 students, along with the future construction of additional structures and improvements. So you have two private schools right now seeking special use permits, the Miller School and United Christian Academy, to massively expand their student bodies. They're not expanding their student bodies unless the demand is there. Yeah. And as you continue to erode amenities offered by the public school system, the thought of other options becomes more front and center. Yeah. I feel like that's fair to say, right? Yeah, of course. Right? I mean, someone's going to try to pick that apart and, and, and say that I'm trying to knock public schools, but I'm not. We're just being realistic, right? Yeah. The school, if any, if any business starts offering less and less and less, then you're going to start looking for uh, alternatives. That's not a bad idea from, from uh, Deep Throat. They should do park and rides for kids in outlining areas. What I was going to say is if they had, like, one good person at each of the schools that uh, that had a good background in organization, 
they could organize parents in the neighborhoods. I mean, I'm sure there is some somebody who can drive, uh, you know. And if you can start, I mean, you know, when I when I was going to school, we didn't always. There were times when I walked, and there were other times when we had we had carpool. Yeah, carpool. How far would you walk? I mean, uh, the longest I walked was. Was this Maine? Uh, I mean, I went to school in California and Maine. Uh, Maine in high school, uh, my last three years was probably the probably the longest I walked. How far are we talking? It's probably a little over a little over. You're not to give me the exact amount, just rough amount. Over a mile. So we continue the conversation. A little rough, over a mile. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Was over. there a, a temperature threshold? Where you did not walk a little over a mile one way to school. This is the old. Uh, this think, is the old cliche. Yeah. My no, dad walked. It was. It was uphill both ways. <laughs> I know. In the snow without shoes on. Yeah. I think. I think we. Uh, I think I fairly regularly got rides in the morning. Because it was then, coldest. No, just I think it was convenient. Okay. Somebody had a car, or uh, uh, and then uh, and then eventually. Um, I had a car, but what was but, the temperature threshold? I mean, I think I think it was just. Uh, I think we usually got a ride in the morning. Would you walk in sub ten degree weather? I don't. Maine, Portland, Maine, had, doesn't have the extremes that some places in the north do because it's so close to the to the to ocean. the water. So we had we had some cold winters, but it was you know, walking a mile home in in the snow wasn't really that. It's nobody's gonna. You're not gonna get lost, and somebody finds you in spring, like thawing <laughs> out. You know. Um, so yeah, I think uh, for the most part, it was it was walking home. Uh, got a ride there and uh, and walk back. But I mean, you know, it's and then and then in California, it was. We may have walked a similar. It may have been a little bit a little bit shorter, but. It was a nice, pleasant walk through, uh, you know, through the suburbs and across a gigantic uh, street. But uh, the park and ride situation suggestion is not a bad one. I, are any of the school board members or school board candidates or Matthew Haas's cabinet thinking park and rides? How Drop the kids path? in one parking lot. Okay. And then have the bus pick them up there. Granted, the kids may be waiting a long time in the parking lot as parents drop the kids off before they go to and from, you know, before work. No doubt, but I've been reading things about uh, about kids having to get up and be out uh, be out on the sidewalk for a bus even in their own neighborhood at like seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, seven is Seems... seven's late. I see kids that are waiting in the six o'clock hour for the bus. So, yeah, a parking lot like who? They probably wouldn't even have to get up as early. They'd probably get to sleep in a little bit. Well, no. I think it would be tied to the parents driving to work and having to be dropped off before work. Yeah. But how many people are going to work at 6 in the morning? I think you'd be surprised. I might be, but nah. come well, on. A lot of shift work. Yeah. I mean, you you got uh, you got an easy breezy, easy peasy Sunday well, yeah, breezy over here with the 9.30 a.m. arrival. Yeah. Um. This is, this is uh, to Judah's point, micro data from census uh, shows 95, this is a great stat from Deep Throat. You ready for this? Anonymous, good work. 
to Judah's point, micro data from the census shows that 95% of people living in a newly built home in our area came from outside the area. That makes a lot of sense and frankly doesn't surprise me at all. It's going to get way worse. Yeah. Uh, what about, that's 95%? What about when that's 100%? Um, this is also a, a good uh, little tidbit from him. Let's say you locked in a 3% rate during COVID. Yeah. 80% loan to value on a $1 million house. At 7%, the mortgage is suddenly worth 25% less than face. Yeah. The 200K value evaporates if you prepay. Obviously, that goes down over time as duration decreases and principal balance declines. I, the, econ, the, the econ professor really put it, and Kevin said most of UVA is going to work in the hospital sector at that time, J-Dubs. Um, the econ professor put this on my radar. He said the next phenomenon is homeowners accruing ridiculous equity over the last three years. In some cases, I mean, my, I said this on Real Talk. My personal house, I purchased in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. You could not have bought a house at a better time than March of 2020 when we thought the world was collapsing and literally going to get crushed by COVID. Yeah. So demand for home purchasing went to none which means anyone who had their home listed in March or April or May or June of 2020 was desperate, so they were willing to budge and move on price. Yeah. So I got it in March of 2020. Very accurately, the comps that have sold suggest my, our house, my wife and I's house, has appreciated 85% in value in three years and five months. Yeah. 41 months in 85% appreciation in value. Mm-hmm. But when you have a sub 4% rate and you've locked in overhead at a time that we'll never see again, why would I take advantage of that 85% Unless I'm take, using that 85% to potentially buy something else. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to think like that. Oh, yeah. Especially the move-up buyer. The move-up buyer may say, like in our situation, we're not uh, in a move-up buyer scenario. In, our situa- in, in uh, the move-up buyer situation, they may say, all right, I want to go from the first home I own, mm-hmm. which maybe I bought at 250 in 2019 or 2018, and that 250 is now worth four and a quarter or 435. And over that same period of time, I've maybe made an extra payment every year to my mortgage, and I've whittled down the principal that's owed, the balance that's owed to, I don't know, a buck 10. And now someone that had a 250, a 225 home that was purchased before COVID may owe a buck 10, a buck 15, buck 20, just pick a number. And that home right now has a refinance value of four and a quarter. Yeah. And then you're looking at uh, equity of, call it just for the sake of conversation, easy numbers, 300,000. 
You can HELOC 300,000. I want to be conservative and say, why don't I be conservative and say 70% LTV? You're talking about 210 pullout. Then you take that 210 and buy the next move up home. The next move up home may have a purchase price of 600. On that 600, you're putting 20% down, which is 120, leaving you a potential delta of 90,000 for improvements or to bankroll, to chop down credit card debt, or to just put in an account. Or you don't go the full 70% on the LTV and you just pull 50% of the equity out, 40% of the equity out. Let's see if that happens around here. Because to your point, why would you sell something at a 2 or 3% rate yeah. if you didn't have to? Right. Now, as Scott and Keith and a lot of folks like to say, if there's death or there's divorces or you may have to. financial issues, you're forced to do it. But if you don't have those extenuating circumstances, why would you sell it? It's definitely more secure than a bank, especially today. Well, with some of those bank downgrades... Yeah, bank downgrades, and uh, and how much is a bank giving you on your money? Uh, you getting uh, there's some banks that have four point seven five five percent just for parking money in an account. Some, but the rent around here, I mean, I just in nine years my rent's two x in the villas. You're not going to two x your money in a bank account. No. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville, former PTO officer here. Not that it's something PTO should have to be doing, but PTOs should be stepping up to help coordinate solutions for families in their school. Just like you having a fundraising chair or a volunteer coordinator, maybe they could recruit a transportation carpool chair. That's a great idea. Yeah. I like that, VP. Vanessa Parco, you're a solutions-oriented businesswoman. I like that about you. Linnell, I haven't forgotten about you. Linnell, I'm reading your comment right now. In fact, I'm going to respond to your tweet by saying, I'm going to mention this live on air to J-Dubs and the audience right now. Uh, the LAJC attorney called for more housing in historically exclusionary neighborhoods to address, address race equity, along with home maintenance programs for low-income residents. You want one of the things, this is something that's flying under the radar. One of the things that can help a historically marginalized community make the rent relief program more robust. Rent relief or rent, or excuse me, not rent relief, tax relief. The, the taxes yeah. on people's homes. Yeah. Make the thresholds or the, um, I guess thresholds is the right word. Take the thresholds of tax relief and widen them a little bit so it includes or it's inclusive of more people. I wonder if that would solve a lot of the anger around the uh, 10th page. uh... Tax gentrification issue. Yeah, because a lot of what you heard at the city council meeting on Monday was our taxes are going to rise out of control. We're not going to be able to afford them. Yeah. Get tax relief, the program, make it a bit more robust. Yeah, no doubt. And Charlottesville City, 
it's got not only a tax relief program issue and that it's so narrow, the window, it's tied to area median income, but no one effing knows about it. Yeah. They don't market, they don't brand, they don't promote it. It's not in the news cycle. It's not on talk shows like this. I mean, yeah. I am talking about this now. It needs to be more of the vocabulary and the conversation. Yeah. It should go hand in hand with the, you know, like, relief, uh, debt relief, uh, talking about uh, talking about keeping people in their homes. And, uh, you know, we're talking about, we talk about people, you know, houseless people on the the downtown mall and on the and in the parks and you know there's there's all that talk about that kind of stuff and and about uh, finding a way to create homes that you can put them in but what about the people that are about to lose their homes because of uh because the taxes have gone up too much there you go judah dropping knowledge today huh give some props to judah judah wickhauer j dubs as he's known up and down the eastern seaboard um Felt like the show was good. Conversational show today. I, I really appreciated Carly's comment about um, the Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors report mm-hmm. that while the data shows that Almaro County is up 11% year over year and Nelson County is down 25% year over year. Yeah, it's not the whole story. So. Maybe it's indication of in Nelson, those with the wealthy homes choosing not to list them. Yeah. And those with the homes that don't have the deepest prices choosing to list them. And in Almaro County, maybe it's an indication of those with the wealth, the high value homes choosing to go on market with them in the second quarter of this year because there was no inventory and they realized that they could capitalize on this lack of inventory and make a boatload of money. Yeah. It's a great comment right there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll close with this comment. To the point about publicizing tax relief. The way it was publicized is, um, is it Alex Ikefuna sent out an email to the neighborhood associations and asked them to circulate it. The city doesn't even have accurate list of neighborhood association officers. I am on I I am on my board, he says, of my association, and I forwarded it to some people. Two people emailed me back to thank me, and I hadn't heard anything else from anyone else. So if the neighborhood associate, if the, uh, the city is sending out the tax relief to the neighborhood associations and the contact information for those associations, I, I'm, on, I'm the president of this building, which is a condo association. The board of these associations elects officers every year. So if you're not keeping up to date of who's on the boards and the associations, you legitimately could be setting the tax relief notification or information to someone who no longer is on the board and can't send it out to the folks in that respective neighborhood. Yeah. Ay, great comment there from Deep Throat. Anything you want to add? I thought you did a great job today. Well, talking about the talking about pay gaps, uh, I've got this on uh, um, CEOs uh, from seventy-eight to twenty, from nineteen seventy-eight to twenty twenty-one CEO pay based on realized compensation grew by 1,460%, far outstripping S&P stock market growth and top 0.1% earnings growth. Um, In contrast, compensation of the typical worker grew by 18.1% from 1978 to 2021. I mean... 
we'll close on this. Why is CEO pay going up? I'm the wrong person to ask. Why, why CEO? Oh, it's just common sense. Why is the CEO and C-suite pay going up? Because it's the CEOs and the C-suites that determine how much they're getting paid. Yeah. Why is folks in the bottom of the professional totem pole's pay not going up at the same clip of C-suite? Because they're... Because they don't decide or determine how much that they're going to get paid. Crazy times, huh? The C-suite, who determines how much they're going to get paid, is making more money. And the folks that are at the bottom of the professional totem pole, who have no say in how much they're going to get paid, are getting incremental, very small incremental raises. It's the same thing with housing. Who is the number one opponent to new housing in Charlottesville and in Amor County? Homeowners. Why? Because they live here. Who is not championing more housing in Charlottesville and Amor County? The people who don't live here that would benefit from the new housing. Because they don't live here. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Um, all right, that's the program. I got a call in six minutes here. Um, with a landlord, an entrepreneur, and an architectural firm. Very exciting times. Um, you, job well done. Thank you. Judah Wickhauer, A++ today. Me, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of like a B, a B+. You get a higher grade today. I sincerely mean that. This is the I Love Seville Show. Donna Price, Chairwoman, Albemarle County Board of Supervisors, tomorrow on the program. Don't miss the interview. See you guys later.